0: Snap Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Tuesday, the 8th of June. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Annika Smethurst. And Annika, on today's briefing what's your
1: savings plan?
2: Well, not mine specifically, but we'll find (laughs) out why an increasing number of young people are buying shares.
1: I'm going to get 1% in the bank. Maybe I get the market average of 10% a year in in shares. If I get that, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. It's
0: just a question of how you get there without risking your hard-earned savings. That is today's briefing. First, the headlines.
2: Ben Robert smiths defamation trial has begun in Sydney, with the SAS veteran expected to take the stand today.
0: His lawyer, Bruce McClintock Senior Counsel, started his opening address yesterday, saying his client had been the victim of fellow soldiers who were jealous of his success in the field and credulous journalists too willing to believe their accounts.
2: The testimonies of a number of former SAS personnel were included in stories about alleged war crimes committed in Afghanistan, published by nine newspapers. Robert Smith is arguing the stories implied he is a criminal and he denies any wrongdoing.
0: And Melbourne's daily COVID case numbers rose to 11 yesterday, reigniting fears the lockdown may not end or may only partially end on Friday morning.
2: The cases are all linked to known cases, but four of them are believed to be the Delta variant, the origins of which are still unknown.
1: Chances are this came uh, across our border. We know that's where it's
2: come from. So uh, most people who have come across our borders have come through hotel quarantine, uh, but we have no definite link to, to any particular breach.
0: That's the Federal Chief Medical Officer, Paul Kelly, speaking there. So, Annika, as a Victorian state politics reporter for The Age, you'll obviously be following this decision closely about the potential end of this lockdown. How will they make the decision?
2: In the past two weeks, what we've seen is ministers get a briefing on Tuesday night, about 48 hours out before the lockdown was meant to end or start a couple of weeks ago. They get the latest data, they talk to the health experts, and they get a range of scenarios. So we think that will happen today. They will then wait to tomorrow just to make sure that their predictions aren't too wild and that they're within the barrier and they'll make a call on it. Now, look, 11 cases did worry a lot of people yesterday. It was sitting at like two a day and it was a huge jump. Having said that, they were all linked and that's Mm. what they want. These people were already close contacts. They were already quarantining. So that's really good news. But authorities are really worried about mystery cases. And should any of them pop up, I suspect we won't be getting out on Thursday.
0: So that's the number we should be watching out for today, the number of mystery cases?
2: Yeah, it's not necessarily getting them down to zero. Last time that was the government's sort of prerogative. I don't think they're quite in the same position this time. There's a lot of people that want to get out for that long weekend. Now, I don't think that's going to look like other long weekends we've known, but hopefully some easing of restrictions.
0: Sadly, no skiing for people in Melbourne, which (laughs) totally sucks. Meanwhile, in Victoria, the opposition's demanding answers from the Premier, Dan Andrews, as he returns to work after 91 days of sick leave.
2: The Premier hasn't been seen in public since he slipped and fell on wet stairs at a holiday home on the Mornington Peninsula, breaking his ribs and T7 vertebrae.
0: His lengthy absence and mystery around the initial fall has prompted inquiries from the Liberals, including where he slipped, what time, and when the ambulance was called.
2: New South Wales has ruled out funding a dedicated quarantine facility, saying the federal government should build it. We are at our operational capacity. We have no capacity to do more.
1: So if there was any proposal in the future, it wouldn't come from us.
0: That's the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian speaking yesterday. Uh, she was alongside the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who said there'd been no request from New South Wales for a facility.
2: The comment comes after New South Wales Treasurer Dominic Perrottet said on the weekend the state government was looking at putting forward a proposal to the federal government for a quarantine hub.
0: Mm, So it seems to be a change in position there. The federal government said it's open to work with the states in setting up dedicated quarantine facilities, just like the deal they're working on with the Victorian government.
2: The daughter of the Bilaweila Tamil family in detention on Christmas Island has been transferred to the mainland to a hospital with a suspected blood infection.
3: It got significantly worse over the weekend to the point that she was um, admitted to Christmas Island Hospital and within a short period after that, a decision made to transfer her to Perth.
0: That's the family's lawyer, Karina Ford, speaking to the ABC. Supporters of the family have said that the girl's illness is a sign that they're getting poor care on Christmas Island, where they've been held since 2019.
2: Supporters have again called for the family to be returned to the central Queensland town of Biloela, where they were living until 2018, when they were detained by authorities for overstaying their visas.
0: And the world's richest man, Jeff Bezos, says he's going to go into space in July. And he's auctioning off a seat for someone to join him.
2: The flight on the craft belonging to Bezos space company, Blue Origin, has room for three on board, with the third person taking the flight with Bezos and his brother Mark.
0: The proceeds of the ticket sale will go to charity, and the price is starting at a bid of 2.8 million US dollars. That is an expensive flight.
2: Yeah, not quite in my price range there, Tom.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of price range, um, we're going deep on. A savings plan that more and more young people are becoming a part of.
3: I was going for one of my long walks during lockdown and I was just checking my savings and I didn't realise how the monthly interest rate was so low. I was only getting at most like $2 every month from the interest and it was such a missed opportunity to have that kind of amount of fun sitting in a long term deposit. Collecting
0: that, basically, when I could have made my money work harder for me. That's Chenny Wallandari. She's a 29-year-old investor who represents some interesting trends. One is that more young people, and the other is that more women are getting into the stock market in the last two years.
2: This year's annual investor study from the Australian Stock Exchange revealed that 23% of investors only got involved in the past two years, and a quarter of those new investors were aged 18 to 24 like Chenny, lots of them were inspired by the pandemic.
0: Yeah, so the report revealed that a decade ago, only a third of new investors were women. Uh, now women make up 45% of new investors. So not quite parity, but getting much closer.
2: So in this briefing, why are more young people getting involved in the stock market? And how do you do it the smart way, getting a solid return without taking silly risks? Jenny Wallandari,
0: tell us more about how you got into the share market.
3: It's something that's been on my mind for a while, but I just never really got to it. And you know, investing in property is not something that's appealing or attainable for a lot of young professionals like me. So the only other option really is stock market.
2: It's obviously a lot easier now. You don't have to uh, phone a stockbroker. And as you say, it's really quite accessible to do this online. So what was your strategy there? What platform did you use and did you find it quite an easy process to set up?
3: Yeah, it was quite intuitive. You know, um, I had reservation at the start about stock markets. I was quite reserved, and I was like, oh, no, I didn't really want to go to a broker. I kind of wanted to charge by myself. So um, what I started, you know, I did a quick research to see which trading platform I should be using, compared the broker fees, and decided to go for one called Self Wealth, which charges a flat rate of $9.50, and, you know, you could save easily quite a fair bit of money if you frequently do the transactions every every week or every day. For me, like I pick ETFs as my baseline investment. Now, ETF stands for exchange traded funds, which basically allow you to get a basket of shares with a single trade rather than buying individual company stocks. The easiest way to explain is that, think of it like when you go to a supermarket, you want to make a mushroom dish, but you don't know what type of mushroom you want to get to so just get a basket filled with different types of mushroom. That is literally <laughs> what ETF is. So. 80% of my investment fund in the stock market go to ETFs to provide that safety net. And then the reminder of that 20% can go to like individual company stocks.
0: So how are you going so far? What's your overall return?
3: 10%. It's pretty solid, actually.
0: So Chenny, sounds like you've made some very sensible decisions. Did you get professional advice?
3: Um, no, not quite professional advice. But I did go to a couple of friends who are a little bit older. They're in their mid 30s, and they have had um investment in market stock markets for longer and I think there are some really great resources that young people who are uh wanting to make a play in this type of investment they could go, go join like facebook groups there are quite a spare few that you can join where A lot of young people exchange their tips on what to invest and how to start or even just reading the news. There are quite a number of news sources that are handy and provide you that easy to digest information on how to get started in online investing.
2: So that was Chenny. She did a great job of explaining ETFs, which, as we mentioned, are a popular and savvy option, something I've chosen to do in the last few years. It's a single trade that captures a big group of stocks, so it gives you a little bit of protection.
0: Yeah, that's right. So let's find out more about this surge in young investors and how to do it wisely. Uh, we're joined by Scott Phillips, who's the chief investment officer at Motley Fool Australia. Scott, what do you think are behind these trends that Cheney
1: personifies? It's a wonderful thing that uh, young people are getting invested. I think you know we know the value of time, you're, you're compounding for all of the the boring maths. The longer you can invest for, in fact, time is actually more important for most people than the return you can earn. Because if you can add five, 10, 15, 20 years to your investing career. The net result when you finally retire or simply just want to stop working and live off your portfolio is just phenomenally, phenomenally bigger. So that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Really, really great to see. Of course, we've got to make sure people are doing it properly. And what passes for investing may or may not be what uh, traditional financial advisors consider the same thing with the influx of uh, everything from you know speculating on Bitcoin through to these trading apps and lots of things in between. Uh, but overall, a really, really good thing.
2: Have you seen this reflected in membership numbers and hits on your website and how much do you think or does it reflect that we're getting people that have never invested before, young people, novices, trying to look for information on where to put their money?
1: So we had a, a real surge of interest basically when the COVID recession first hit. There's a couple of things going on. I think the first was that people expected that this would be a short recession, that it was a almost a government mandated impact to try and, you know, effectively get rid of the the COVID impact, which frankly was really successful. We also saw a great, you know, move from the government with job keeper, jobseeker, and, and of course the cash splash, the you know, welfare recipients got money, businesses got money. There was very much a sense that this would be short, we would be okay. That was, I think, part of what stimulated people saying, well, hang on, I've got some cash. I see the market's fallen. I'm really, really glad, by the way, that people did see it that way rather than the market's falling into run and hide. They saw it as an opportunity. And I think that really stimulated, those, those combination of factors really stimulated people jumping into the market.
2: One of the things we kept getting told was that young people were being hardest hit by this recession as opposed to the last one we had. It was really specifically targeted at people in their 20s. I guess this is a sign that it didn't hit all parts of the economy equally, right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and we know it did hit young people the hardest. We know from the unemployment numbers. We know from some of the job, super, job keeper staff. I, I vividly remember, you know, driving down my local street and seeing lines out the front of Centrelink. I mean, these, these were these were real things that we shouldn't forget. And we have to – I know you guys do know this, but, you know, we listeners need to remember that, you know, during – even though the recovery has been swift, it's been strong, the ASX, for example, is already back above its pre-COVID levels, um, that, it, you know, it didn't treat everybody equally. As I said, our business actually did really well out of it because we were investors – and people were looking for advice, as as you asked before. So we did really well. Plenty of businesses have done it tough. Plenty are still doing it tough, and plenty of people working in those businesses, whether they are CBD, hospitality, whether they're tourism. Uh, Plenty of people are doing it really, really tough. But as you say a lot of people did get a bit of a windfall. They got some extra cash or they simply had the same amount of cash but weren't going overseas, for example. So plenty of people bought new couches and TVs. I think a whole lot of people said, well, hang on, I put aside X thousand dollars to go to New York or Paris or London or Jakarta or wherever. All of a sudden, we can't do that. We can maybe buy a couch, we buy a TV, we can holiday domestically, or we throw a couple of grand into the stock market and see if investing is, is worth doing. And I think that's what a whole lot of people did. So do you put this massive influx of of young investors getting into
0: the stock market down to the pandemic or are there other factors like, um,
1: you know, the massive growth in house prices making that more difficult? Yeah, you're exactly right. So it's not just the pandemic, and that's a, that's a really good point. There's a couple of other factors at play. I think the first is absolutely you're right. People are, are looking at house prices and doing one of two things. They're either well, the three things. One, <laughs> one is they're just sort of saving and putting their head down and hoping that they'll get a chance at some point. But a whole lot of other people are saying either hey, housing's out of reach. I'm going to invest in shares instead and make that my wealth building vehicle some others though the third group are saying well i can't afford a deposit right now but if i save and invest maybe my investment returns can actually help me get to a deposit more quickly and we're definitely seeing anecdotally all three of those but a lot of that latter group in particular are saying well okay i need to get you know unfortunate these days you know one 200 grand to try and get on the property ladder. i've got 20 30 40 saved up i'll put it on the market I know it's going to take a while. I know it's going to be volatile, but I see that as the best return because I'm not going to get. You know, I'm going to get one percent in the bank. Maybe I get the market average of ten percent a year in in shares. If I get that, I mean it's, it's more risky, as I said. Cash in the bank is safe as houses. Probably a bad analogy, but uh, you know that they, they're doing that, and that makes a whole lot of sense. The other thing I think we should think about too is the ability to trade more easily is a really mm. important part here, and it's both good and bad. By the way, it's much, much, much simpler, and I think that removal of a barrier is really important. And having an app in your pocket where you can trade, you know buy sell, buy sell, that's a downside of it as well. The, you know the ability to blow yourself up by being impatient or silly or you know, reacting to fear or greed or concern. those things are other downsides, but the absolute upside is it made it more accessible for more people and by the way, cheaper as well. Some of the trades are free or as little as five bucks. Um, you know it wasn't that many years ago that it was 150 dollars a trade placed through a broker directly on the phone or in person. Mm. Um, so those things have been meaningful improvements.
2: One of the crazy things we're saying too is that females are really getting into this. 10 years ago, only a third of new investors were women. Now that's 45%. Do you know what's happening there?
1: There are more women now investing on things like social media and you know, it's it's the old thing of in all sorts of um, oh, women are a minority, obviously, but all sorts of groups that haven't necessarily been prominent or publicly visible in these spaces before. When you start to see someone like you doing it, it makes it more accessible, more open. We want more young women investing, and by the way, they're better investors. So this is the huh. as as a bloke, I'm I'm happy to say it, but I'm also a bit ashamed of my own gender. Um, we tend to be risk takers. We tend not to be great investors. Women tend to, on average, when the research is done, perform better than blokes actually in investing because they're more patient. They're more thoughtful. They're less likely to respond emotionally to uh, changes in the market, good or bad. Um, They're simply less extreme in their emotions and their actions. One of the
0: really interesting trends in the investor survey from the ASX is that 18 to 24s, this new generation of investors are way more likely to invest in ETFs, these index funds. Do you see that as a good thing given it can avoid the pitfalls
1: of trying to pick stocks and getting it wrong? Yeah, ETFs are fantastic. Like, I, I mean, I pick individual stocks for a living, right? But yeah. if, you, if if listeners don't do anything other than buy ETFs, they will do really, really, really well. It diversifies your exposure to the market. You, you still get, by the way, the, the ups and downs of the market. ETFs still fell 38% between February and March last year during the COVID recession and then have come all the way back. So you can't avoid volatility with ETFs, but you can avoid company-specific risk. I could have a fund investing in the 15 worst companies I could find. And if I listed on the exchange, it would be an ETF quite literally. Mm. So I wanted to just just be really careful here that when we talk about ETFs, they probably almost need a new brand for those you know, big, broad, low-cost index funds. The language
0: isn't quite right. I think the term ETF is actually a bit misleading, but mostly what people are talking about is the, these broad-based index funds that you can buy, like buying a share through an ETF.
1: I think every particularly young investor, buy an ETF, never sell it. In 20, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, you will be amazed if you keep adding to that how much money you end up with. Scott
2: Phillips from Motley Fool, which provides research and stock tips. Now, Scott has his own podcast as part of the listener family, too.
0: Yeah, and I think both of us can relate to those trends, right? Annika, I save my first house deposit by putting it in a a savings account, but those savings accounts don't give many good returns now, and that's why people are turning to the share market to get there at a much younger age.
2: Yeah, I fit that category too. People that luckily enough didn't lose their job during the pandemic, didn't spend it on going overseas, so I was looking for a place to invest, and this sums up exactly what I did.
0: Tomorrow on The Briefing, what is the future of Melbourne? How is the world's most livable city, or at least it was, going to emerge from the current lockdown cloud?
1: Listener.